0: Well, tonight we are reading from the same text that we considered this past Sunday, uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 14. Uh, We don't often do this, but Sunday and again tonight, we are reading from the New King James translation of the Bible. And so I believe it's on the screen behind me, and we have started uh, reading together as a congregation. And so let's uh, do that again this evening Uh, let's uh, read now this wonderful passage of Scripture here we go and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so all went to be registered everyone to his own city And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. As we focused the past couple of weeks, we consider again tonight a joyful proclamation delivered by an angel of the Lord on the occasion of the birth of Jesus Christ. And tonight, the joyful proclamation that we want to focus on is the proclamation to a group of shepherds that we find in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As the angel announced the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, the angel was very deliberate in letting the shepherds know who this baby was. He let the shepherds know that the baby was savior christ and lord the angel proclaimed him as savior because he is the one who came from god to deliver men and women from that which they cannot deliver themselves we'll talk about this as we go but mankind is in a mess we are in a big old mess that we cannot get ourselves out of And Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, what we cannot do for ourselves, which is get us out of our mess. He is the Savior. The angel announced him as Christ, or some translations say Messiah, to make sure that the shepherds knew that this was the promised Messiah that Israel had been waiting for. And the angel pronounced him Lord to make it clear that the baby born in Bethlehem was more than just another baby, more than just a man. He was and is God in human flesh, Savior, Christ, Messiah, Lord. That's who Jesus is. It's who he has always been. And it is who he was, even as he was born of the Virgin Mary and wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger. You may have noticed this. The world tries to confine Jesus. The world tries to define Jesus. And the world tries to set the parameters of who Jesus was, if he ever really was. Some try to confine him to eternal infancy. The only time that they ever think of Jesus is as a nice little story to think about each December and as a reason, sort of a reason, like we need some reason, so we came up with this one. Uh, We're going to be nice to each other this time of year. And we're going to point to little baby jesus and say that's why we're going to be nice to each other and we want to give gifts to each other this time of year so we'll point to little baby jesus and say that's why we're going to give gifts to our friends and family but they only think about jesus as little baby jesus during december as ricky bobby famously said (laughs) many people prefer little baby jesus to grown-up jesus If you don't know that reference, you're a better Christian than those of us who do. (laughs) Others try to confine and define and set parameters on Jesus in other ways. They say that he was a great moral teacher, but certainly not the Savior of the world. They say that, yes, he lived a life of sacrifice, and because of that, he is worthy of emulation, but he definitely was not the promised Messiah of Israel. They will even go so far as to admit his unrivaled impact on history, but are absolutely certain to clarify that he was not God come in the flesh. And yet I tell you tonight that all of the confining and all of the defining and all of the parameter setting changes nothing. It changes nothing. You see, Jesus does not need your affirmation. He does not need my affirmation to be who he is. Whether I acknowledge him or you acknowledge him or the smartest person you've ever met acknowledges him as who he really is, it changes nothing. He is Savior, Christ, Messiah, Lord. It is tragic that so many people do not recognize and acknowledge him for who he is, but it changes absolutely nothing. He is who he is, he is who he has always been Savior, Christ, and Lord. And it's tragic when people don't recognize him and acknowledge him for who he is because, as the angel of the Lord said in verse two of, uh, verse 10 of Luke 2, this announcement of Jesus as Savior Christ and Lord is good news of great joy for all people. It's good news for everyone. And for the next few minutes, I want to share with you why the birth of Jesus is good news for all people. But we have to travel through some bad news to figure out why it's such good news. And here we go. The birth of Jesus, Savior, Christ, and Lord is good news for all people because whether they know it or not, whether you know it or not, all people need a savior. I need a savior. You need a savior. The best person that you have ever met in your life needs a savior. Why? Because every single one of us have sinned against God. And it's not a little oops. Sinning against God is removing God from his rightful throne and placing ourselves where God alone is supposed to sit. That's a big deal. That's what sin is. And that's what every single person who has ever lived is guilty of. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God the psalmist correctly wrote in the 51st Psalm surely I was sinful at birth I was sinful from the moment that my mother conceived me Isaiah 53 6 all of us like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way we've turned away from the way of God and we have turned to our own path first John 1 8 If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so, what Scripture is very clear about is that we are all sinners by both birth and experience. We were born sinners because of our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, but if we thought that was some sort of a raw deal, it doesn't take very long until we commit sin ourselves, proving that we would have done exactly what they did if we had been there in the beginning. We're all sinners. Every single one of us has sinned against God, dethroned God, and set ourselves up as the unrivaled, the absolute sovereign of our own lives. We've all sinned. And what the Bible is also really clear about is that that sin has separated us from God. God. Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated you from God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And of course, as I shared, I think it was just this past Sunday, Jesus himself said in John 13.3, unless you repent, unless you turn away from your sin and turn back toward me, unless you repent, you will all perish. We've all sinned. Sin separates us from God. And sin earns for us a very specific penalty. Something else the Bible is really clear about. And the penalty that it earns for us is death. The Apostle Paul tells us that. And if you're inclined to say, well, okay, Paul said it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. It is is clear. And it comes from Jesus himself. The wages of sin is death. And as if all of that isn't bad enough news. Here's more. We are absolutely powerless to do anything about our sin problem. We, We are powerless to satisfy the debt. That we have incurred the scriptures make it clear that we cannot save ourselves that we can't be good enough people to merit god's favor we can't be good enough people to overcome the wrong that we have done you know this is what most of the world thinks is that you know in our lives our 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 lives are just being balanced And, and when we do something good okay that goes on the scale and then when we do something bad that goes on the scale and Like, which one's heavier at the end? You know, if you were a little bit better than you were bad, then everything's good. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible lets us know that we cannot be a good enough person to balance out our sin. And so here's what all of this means. Left to ourselves, we are hopelessly separated from God. This means that the only possible answer for us is if there is someone who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The only possible answer for us is if there is someone who can satisfy the penalty against us, someone who can pay the debt that we have earned and clear off that debt, The only hope we have, because we cannot reconcile ourselves to God, is if there is someone who can reconcile us to God. This means that what we need is someone to save us. We need a Savior. And this is why the birth of Jesus Christ is good news of great joy for all people, because some 2,000 years ago... A savior was born to us, and he is Messiah, and he is God. And this is what Christmas is all about. And I hope we keep this in mind as we go from this place, and we eat food, and we open presents, and we do all of those things, good things, nothing wrong with any of them. But let's keep what Christmas is really about at the forefront of our thinking Jesus, very God of very God, condescended to take on human flesh and be born in Bethlehem's manger in order to come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to save us. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of all people. And here's how he did it. He did it by doing what we could not do. He lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. And the Bible lets us know that because he lived a sinless life, he then was able to pay the penalty for our sin. From the very beginning of God's dealing with mankind, God established a principle that the innocent can cover or pay for the sins of the guilty. It's what the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system was all about. It's why you read in the Old Testament about lambs without spot or blemish that were sacrificed to God. All of the sacrifices of all of the spotless lambs throughout the history of the people of Israel, they all pointed forward to the coming of Jesus, the spotless Lamb. The one of whom John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of those Old Testament spotless lambs, they just rolled sins back for a year. They got you a reprieve for a year. But what John the Baptist declared of Jesus and what is true is that he is the Lamb of God who doesn't just roll sin back for a year, but he takes Away the sin of the world. Jesus lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God so that he could die a substitutionary death that would pay the penalty for mankind's sin. That he was a human being who lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God made it possible for him to represent mankind as the innocent party who could pay the penalty for the guilty. The fact that he was not only man, but also was God with us, meant that his sacrifice could pay the debt of sin for all mankind for all time because as the great God-man, Jesus is infinitely righteous. Infinitely righteous. And so his sacrifice can pay the Dead of sin for everyone who has ever lived or who will ever live. Jesus lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God, died a substitutionary death, died in your place and my place, and then he rose to life again, proving that he had fully satisfied the debt of sin for all people for all time. You see, if the debt of sin had not been paid, Jesus would not have risen from the dead. He'd still be dead today, and we'd be lost and without hope. But because Jesus is who the angel proclaimed him to be, and because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, paid the penalty for our sins, he was able to rise to life again, and his resurrection is proof that sin's penalty has been paid in full and that salvation and reconciliation with God and eternal life have been secured for all people. Jesus, Savior, Christ, Lord, Savior for all people. That's why his birth was good news for all people. But the Bible is exceptionally clear that we must personally receive Jesus as our Savior in order to personally experience the benefits of His life, death, and resurrection that are available to everyone. They're available to everyone, but to experience them, we must receive them. He's the savior of the whole world, but we must receive him as our savior. And I want to share with you how we can do that. First of all, and I, I, I don't, I want to be clear. This is not like a four-step process. It, it, it basically comes down to this. Recognize Jesus for who he is. Recognize you need him to be your savior and call out to him to be your savior. I mean, I, that's really as simple as it gets, and, and, and that's, that's the gospel, But but if we think about what goes into making that decision, we come up with four things, and that's what I want to share with you now. First of all, we admit that we're sinners separated from God and standing in need of a Savior. Essentially, we just admit what is true about ourselves. We stop lying to ourselves and telling telling ourselves that we're good people. You know, I know I do bad things sometimes, but really, I'm one of the best people I've ever met. And uh, so, like, how could God be upset with me? I'm, I'm, I'm really, really nice. And, and so we we stop thinking like that, and we admit what is true about ourselves. We agree with God. When I heard someone say this one time, and I really liked it. We agree with God against ourselves. We we think we're really awesome, but we read in the Bible it says all of sin and we, and what we. Uh, say when we uh, admit the truth is, you know what, God's right, I'm wrong. I'm not so great. I have dethroned God. I I have lived by by my own law as if God doesn't exist. And so we agree with what God says about us in his word, that we're sinners needing a savior. We admit this and we ask him to forgive our sins. First John 1, 9 says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every wrong. And so then after we've admitted what is true about ourselves, we believe on Jesus. We believe that Jesus died to pay for our sins and that he rose again, proving that he fully paid our debt. We believe in Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We acknowledge him for who he really is. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name by which we must be saved. And so we admit and we believe. And after we've done that, then we ask Jesus to come into our lives and be our savior and lord we we don't just assume we ask lord jesus will you be my savior will you come and be my savior and lord john 1 12 and 13 says to all who receive him he gives the right to become children of god all we need to do is trust him to save us all who believe this are reborn not a physical rebirth but from the will of god and romans ten thirteen tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so after we have admitted what is true about ourselves and after we have believed what is true about Jesus and we have asked him to be our savior, then what we do is we receive by faith God's free gift of salvation. We accept that we can't earn it and we stop playing that game Of am i good enough to merit god's favor we stop playing that game and we just gratefully accept receive the gift that god has offered us in jesus christ ephesians 2 9 for it is by grace you're saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast. Admit, believe, ask, and receive. That's how we receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. That's how we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's how we receive forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and eternal life. That's why Jesus came. We, we celebrate his birth this weekend. This is why he came. This is why he was born of the Virgin Mary. To save us. To save everyone who would believe in him. And that's why the proclamation of the angel to the shepherds was both then and now really good news. Good news of great joy For all people. Many of us here tonight, probably most of us really, have already received Christ. We have admitted that we're sinners needing a Savior. We've believed on Jesus. We've asked Him to be our Savior, and we have by faith received His salvation. We are here tonight celebrating because we know what the angel proclaimed is true. We know that the one born in Bethlehem really is Savior, Christ, and Lord. And because we know this, we are going to wrap up our time together this evening by receiving communion because we know that Jesus was not born just to forever be little baby Jesus, but he was born and he grew up and he lived a sinless life. he died a substitutionary death and he rose to life victorious all of this to save us we recognize that our salvation required his death on the cross and so as we celebrate his birth we are also going to remember his great sacrifice but before we receive communion I want to give an opportunity for anyone who has never received Jesus as your Savior to do so tonight. So I'm going to ask that everybody here would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And even if you're just not into anything I'm talking about, I would ask you just to honor this request. Bow your head and close your eyes and just be quiet in this moment.